Welcome to the Words for Writers podcast, inspiration and instruction for writers. I'm your host, Jenny L. Weitrip, award-winning novelist, writing coach, and editor. Thanks for joining us. Susie Flory, yay. I'm glad that you are here today. And uh, I'm going to do the official introduction and then we will dive into conversation. Susie Flory is the New York Times bestselling author or, or co-author of 16 books, including the runaway bestseller, Thunder Dog, the true story of a blind man, his guide dog, and the triumph of trust at ground zero, written with Michael Hinkson. A graduate of UCLA, Susie has a background in journalism, education, and communications. And this year, she's completing a master's in New Testament from Northern Seminary, which I know will lead to more great books, or at least I'm hopeful of that. (laughs) Uh, Susie also serves as chair for West Coast Christian Writers, a nonprofit organization that serves writers through conferences and community. She's also the founder of Everything Memoir, a diverse community of people who are working on a memoir and looking for help, inspiration, encouragement, and coaching. So Susie, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Me too, Jenny. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Welcome. So because of our work together with West Coast Christian Writers, um, there are some weeks when uh, I probably talk to you more than I talk to anyone. (laughs) Lucky you. (laughs) But I've been looking forward uh, to this conversation and the opportunity to uh, focus uh, on you, your work, and uh, especially your work with writers. In this next podcast series, I will be talking with writers who offer resources for writers. And so uh, when I think of an author who um, is serving writers and offering resources for writers, you are at the very top of that list. And so I've been looking forward to sharing some of what you're doing with uh, my listeners and hearing a little bit more about it. So so let's start with Everything Memoir. Tell us about that group, what you offer writers, and how that came to be. So I've been writing uh, books for a while now, and I sort of just fell into or moved into a lane of specializing in memoir, maybe because I love to read them. And, you know, I loved hearing people's stories. And so uh, I began to write memoir consistently. um, And most of the time, I would occasionally write other things too. Uh, Had some bestsellers and so was able to start teaching at conferences about memoir and, you know, aspects of writing uh, that would fit in with memoir. And I was um, taking some appointments at a conference and a person sat down with me. I I remember this moment. It was at a powerful moment. We were sitting by a little little fire pit thing. And she was telling me about, you know, her story, her memoir, and how passionate she was and how crushed she was when an editor told her, you will not find a publisher for this. Wow. 
And so it was just a crushing of her dream. And I tried to encourage her the best I could that your story matters. You need to write it, you know, everything I could think of to try to encourage her. But I just remember that crushing feeling. And I felt that before. And you probably have too as a writer. Um, And so I thought in that moment, I decided I needed to do something to help people who want to write their stories. And I can't control whether they're going to get published or not, or how many people are going to read them, but I can certainly make space for them, help them, encourage them, and just try to be there as a cheerleader, really, and as a mentor so that their stories are not lost and so that they don't have that crushing feeling of feeling like basically their story doesn't matter and no one wants it. So that's where I thought of everything memoir is the name of my little organization, a little educational community, really with the goal of everyone who wants to, I think, needs to write their story. So that's what I'm there for. That's neat. And it's not all that little anymore. Your group has over a thousand members now. So there are a lot of writers out there who have a personal story that they want to write. What are, if a writer is looking toward traditional publication of a memoir, what does that memoir need to include? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Because you will hear often in the industry that memoir is very, very difficult to place. However, I always kind of want to raise my hand and say, I've published a bunch of memoirs. So we're hearing that memoirs can't make it. And here I am sitting on a little stack of memoirs that have been published. Not all have done well, you know, but some have done very well. And I continue to be able to write memoirs. So I think uniquely, you know, I can sort of attest that it does happen. And uh, the key is it has to be very original. So yes, for sure, it has to be well-written. Any book that's published pretty much needs to be very well-written unless you're a Kardashian or something. (laughs) And (laughs) and, uh, yes, it needs to have an original voice. And yes, you need to have a platform, you know, some way of reaching readers. But for memoir specifically, it needs to be really, really original. Does that mean a super original theme or topic? Yes, but it can also be the way you write it. It can be your approach, it can be, you know, the setting, it can be your voice, but it needs to be really, really original, gripping, and speak to kind of the cultural conversation of the moment. So if you can get, you know, wrap your mind around that and work on those things, that's going to help you. Yeah, that's neat. Boy, when you pick up a memoir and the, um, the writer's voice is unique. I think especially as a writer, when I read um, a a voice that is so unique, that draws you in, oh, that's so powerful and so much fun (laughs) to read. So it really is. And it takes, I think, a lot of courage to be able to let yourself, you know, be that original and maybe be different. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Uh, when is it a good idea for a writer to self-publish a memoir? I, so I've kind of been down that path. Um, 
with one of my early books, I got up to 13 rejections. And I know people have, you know, racked up many more. You hear kind of stories in the industry about people wallpapering their bathroom with rejections and things like that. Um, on my 14th try, I found a publisher. So I can't say at what number I would have given up, but I would have given up at some point, you know, when it became clear. Um, and so I think if you try and it's pretty unanimous out there from editors, agents, professionals who can assess your work, um, if it's pretty unanimous that, um, there's not a market or it's too niche, you know, I've had that or niche, however you want to say that, uh, or there's just too many other things out there like it, or, you know, the need is not there for this kind of story. If those are the kinds of things you're hearing, then I would probably look to independent publishing or self-publishing, not feeling like I'm not worthy and my story is not worthy, just that there's not an audience, you know, a big enough audience right now. And I'm going to go find my people and they're, you know, they're going to enjoy my story. So <laughs> that's, that's how I would think about it. Yeah, that's great. And, and that's such a wonderful option now, because not every story is going to reach a wide market or, um, you know, land a contract. It just isn't possible. But to have that ability to still get your work out there and still get a story that will touch lives out there, self-publishing is a good option. So, And relatively low cost, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it can be done very mm -hmm. reasonably yeah. and still done well. Yeah. Um, when might an author fictionalize a story? I love this question because this is a good option for certain people. And I've thought a lot about this because I, I do have a lot of people who ask, you know, I'm afraid of my family's response yeah. or I'm worried about liability or, you know, I need to change some things to make this a better reading experience. And so I've thought a lot about the difference between memoir uh, and novels and what, when would be a good option, you know, when would be a good chance to, for someone to write a novel? And I, my answer is, I think they have to be ready to put in a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> Writing a novel is really hard and you know, getting good instruction and good coaching and good editing is so important. And not every memoirist is ready to put in that work. So I think that's number one. And then the second thing is you have to uh, immerse yourself in the world of kind of fiction because a fiction reader, typically uh, a person who enjoys novels is typically a little bit different from a person who enjoys nonfiction or who enjoys reading memoir. And so there is a difference in that reader. A lot of readers cross over, but a lot of them stay, you know, if I read novels, that's mostly what I'm going to read. I personally read mostly nonfiction and memoir. I occasionally read a novel. It is not my regular. So I think you have to kind of have that mindset and understand um, those readers. Yeah, that's good. One of the other reasons I have found in working with writers and uh, as a fiction author, but in working with writers who want to tell their own story is oftentimes 
the the nugget of the story, the takeaway is strong. It, it's very valuable, but the story itself, the arc is hard to create. Um, the day-to-day events of the story are not all that interesting. <laughs> so a lot of us have similar stories. Our takeaway is unique. What we have to offer readers is unique, but to really create something that is a page turner, that is very readable, we need to embellish the story (laughs) or embellishing it will help, will help make it readable. So that's another reason that I have come across in working with writers is, yes, you have a great message, but you don't have a great story per se. So yeah. yeah. And that takes development time, right? It's kind of like, you know, you plant a little seed in your greenhouse or your window seal, and it takes so long to come up. And then it takes so long to grow into a plant. And then like, if you're trying to grow tomatoes, it takes so long to get the tomatoes red. And uh, I feel like building a story, like what you're talking about with the scenes, the characters, the people, the dialogue, the world, all of that, that takes time. And I feel like memoirists sometimes just want to get it down on paper and be done. And so they don't, they don't understand that kind of development part. Yeah. Okay. That, that leads into what are the similarities between memoir and fiction? Okay. Similarities. I love this because (laughs) memoir is kind of in the world between fiction and nonfiction. So it's a true story, but you're using a lot of fictional techniques where we are borrowing and maybe stealing from great novelists. Um, So you need a story arc. It needs to be this compelling story where there's conflict and turning points and a high point. And, you know, it just, it needs to build and it needs to pull you along. And so we need that. First of all, we need the really good bones underneath the story, the good structure. Then we need really interesting people. So more than just the main person telling the story, which is kind of what I used to think memoir was, it was all about this one person no, there's a whole, you know, solar system, a whole universe of people to talk about. And we need to develop some of those people and make them, you know, whole and and complex people. Not every character, you know, if you're getting served in a Mexican restaurant during a scene, you don't need to build a whole world for the server. But for the important people, you need to. Um, You need really good dialogue. And that's such an art. And for someone, an ordinary person coming in with a great, you know, story that wants to write a memoir, they need to learn and be uh, mentored and, you know, taught how to write great dialogue, which is not easy. And then just thinking in terms of scenes. So like a visual cinematic kind of scene, how are you going to move that along? How is there going to be something you know, compelling and interesting and unexpected. And how is this all going to move the story forward? And you need a couple of those in memoir per chapter, at least one, but a couple is nice. And you got to learn how to do all that stuff. Um, So yeah, I think those are kind of some of the similarities between memoir and fiction. Yeah. Um, You and I connected, I attended uh, a memoir retreat that you were the writer in residence at uh, Kathy Lips Red House. 
because I've been fighting a memoir for many years. And and I remember that week sitting under your teaching and listening to you talk. And I'd already written, I don't know, five, six novels by that time. And the light bulb going on that, oh, wait, I know how to do all of this. (laughs) And I don't know if you said it. I probably stole this from you. Uh, But I often say now that fiction and memoir are very close cousins, Mm -hmm. that the way they are structured, as you just said, is so similar. And uh, so if you, you know, if, if fictionalizing a story is appealing, yes, you have a lot to learn, but you need to also learn all of those skills to write a really compelling, well-written memoir. Yeah. For years, I've been going to fiction classes and workshops. Whenever I go to a conference, I am learning from the great novelists, including yourself. So interesting. So, well, and maybe that's why as a reader, I love reading both because they're, I love story and both are stories. It's it's two means of telling a story. So very fun. Uh, tell us about, you have something new coming up that you're offering to your Everything Memoir group or to others who want to write a memoir. Uh, it is called your memoir, my memoir, my one-year memoir. Sorry, totally slaughtered that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you tell about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I've kept my eye on uh, NaNoWriMo for years. Yeah. So yeah, if you if no one has heard, if you haven't heard, don't know that acronym. It's uh, National Novel Writing Month, which is October. Is that right? It is November. November. Okay. Yes. And so I've thought about joining it. it, The novelist part always held me back, although I know some people do it who are not novelists. And I've thought about trying to adapt that for memoir because there are some people that just write their memoir, either either writers or ordinary people, they just get it done or write, you know, they'll write 300,000 words or something. Those people don't need help. But there's a ton of people who want to write memoir who just are stuck, who just can't get going, or they start and get stuck. And how do we help those people? You know, I can't write a book with every single person who is in that position, but I want to be able to help. So I thought, NaNoWriMo, I could do something with memoir. The problem with memoir is you cannot write one in a month. You just, it's, I've never heard of anyone doing it. I think it's impossible, to be honest. Someone could probably prove me wrong, but because you're reliving and processing things that you have been through, whether good, bad, or, you know, somewhere in between, you're going through a lot. So I thought, how can we do this? And I came upon this idea of doing it in a year. So it's kind of like NaNoWriMo, but over a year in a mentoring group with 30 people, uh, I'm teaching, I'm leading, I'm giving you feedback, I'm giving you deadlines because I'm mean and I'm kind of like a, <laughs> you know, a teacher. Um, and then you have this group atmosphere. And then at the end of the year, if you have written your rough draft and it can be very rough, but if you've gotten through it, um, I'm going to give a financial reward back. So it's like, you'll get paid 
to finish your memoir. And uh, I'm super excited to see how this goes. I think, you know, some things just need to be done in community. Yes, exactly. What a great opportunity for community, but to learn together and to have some one-on-one with you uh, so that mentoring and teaching is, that's incredible. Very exciting. So I was going to say one more thing too. My first, my very first book where I got published and kind of started off on my journey, I wrote with someone else. We were 50-50. We wrote it together. The only reason I got it done is because I was doing it with a, a person, another person. She was a mentor to me. And we had deadlines and I would stay up almost all night, the night before the deadline <laughs> to get my piece done. My chat it is the reason yes. I got it done. So I was thinking back to what helped me and oh my goodness, some of us need deadlines. <laughs> yes, some of us do. I know that very well. <laughs> <laughs> you and I have that in common. <laughs> I need that adrenaline to get me going. So, oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, I will link to uh, everything memoir, your Facebook group, and to uh, the one year memoir program. All of that will be linked in the show notes for those who are interested. Uh, so, you've done a lot of collaborative writing, which that's a whole nother topic that someday I want to do a podcast episode on with you. But, um, you serve writers through Everything Memoir, and you serve writers through West Coast Christian Writers, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And just side note, that in and of itself is a full-time job. So I don't know how you do all that, but um, how did your heart for writers, for serving writers develop? Where did that passion come from? sure where it first came from, but I'll tell you a mentor of mine, what he noticed. Uh, and maybe this was kind of the start of it. So there's, uh, there's a pastor named John Drury who had created a writer's conference called Christian Writer Seminar. And he is, was a care pastor at his church near where I lived. He just has that heart for helping all people. You know, you just always gravitate towards him as someone who cares about you. And it's so nice when you find someone who sees you, who hears you, and who cares about you. And he's one of these people. So he had a little writer's group as part of, you know, what he was doing to help writers with his seminar. I started going to the group and we would share, you know, pieces and make comments on them at home or or on the spot and then, you know, have a typical writer's group. And he told me that I wrote the most encouraging comments. He said, I always encouraged him. I would all, you know, I wasn't there like making a bunch of red marks, you know, and circling commas and that kind of stuff. I would make a few suggestions, but he said I would always write the most incredible, encouraging comments. And he just noted that and sort of affirmed that. And then a few years later, I had been publishing, you know, things had moved along for me writing wise. He started to begin the process of retiring from being at the church. And he needed to retire the conference. And he said he was looking for someone to take it over. So he had this little group that met. He chose me to take over the conference. And he again pointed to my comments (laughs) in this writer's group, which I didn't, you know, I 
I don't know. And so um, I think the heart of a mentor, you know, whether that's spirit given or you develop it through your own experiences or you're you're watching other people mentor, um, I think that's something that's been very close to my heart. And I know that I would not be doing anything I'm doing without mentors that had been in my life. And I've had a string of them. I can look back and think of men and women who just have mentored me and poured into my life. And mostly it's cheerleading. You know, there is some teaching, there is some suggestions and whatever uh, critiquing, but it's mostly cheerleading. And so uh, I've learned to put my red pen down pick up my purple pen and try to encourage. And so that's really behind West Coast Christian writers is there's plenty of people that are going to tear you down and tell you what you're doing wrong. But we are here to try to cheer you on and lift you up as much as we can. I love that. I love that. There is, we hear so often, if you attend writers conferences, uh, that writers need to have thick skin. Uh, rejection is real. <laughs> it, you know, it's a very real part of the writing life. Uh, so we need cheerleaders. That is such a gift for writers, I think. So um, you and I have talked about the idea of pastoring writers or shepherding writers. What does that mean to you? And does your master's work and your upcoming doctrinal work, how does that play into those ideas or does it? Yeah. So a lot of times when we think of pastor, we think preacher. So we think someone who's upfront, who's preaching and who's a gifted communicator and, you know, is moving your heart and all of that. But I, to me, that's a percentage of what a pastor does. A true pastor is shepherding a group of people through spiritual development. And that can mean a lot of things. Um, it can mean correcting. I think a lot of it is cheerleading. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of it is, you know, loving people, caring, caring for people, whatever that might mean. Care being more than much, much more than discipline, than being up front, than being the head. Um, and so as I moved along in my writing career and, you know, was involved in writing organizations and things like that, I began to see the tremendous influence that writers have and specifically Christian writers. I've been changed by books. I've, you know, been changed. Uh, I've seen, I've had organizations I'm in charge of or leading changed by reading books. I know that other leaders, you know, who read are changed. And I, I just, my mind kind of reeled with the influence. And I think it's kind of a hidden influence. I think that we see these best-selling authors. We know that they have these platforms, but there's all the, all the other writers, you know, kind of, Media, you know, the middle class writers and, you know, the ones who are struggling and maybe just a few people are reading their stuff, but just one sentence you write can change someone. And then that they live that out in however God uses that in their lives. It's just exponential. So I love talking about that. Yeah. I call it divine arithmetic. <laughs> and so um, I began to realize that I don't think the average church or average pastor, I mean, just, you know, the churches out there understand this. I think it's something that we can see inside, but 
they don't always get it and they don't know how to pastor writers and they don't know how to, you know, um, cheer them on, I think in meaningful ways, how to nourish them, how to, you know, help them. I just don't think they get it. And why should they? I mean, if they're not a writer and they're not part of it. So I do feel like there is this lack of um, spiritual care and nourishment and, you know, teaching and cheerleading and whatever we want to call it um, for Christian writers. I, I felt it myself. I've seen it with my friends. We pour out a lot when we write and minister. We don't always get poured into so um, that's something that I, you know, have been praying about and trying to work on. Going to seminary is definitely part of that journey. Um, my doctoral work is going to involve um, theology and things that can help Christian writers. So I actually want to create like a, a program of theology for Christian writers that's very specific to the role of a Christian writer, the struggles, the challenges. Um, and how to help them. And so I don't really exactly know what it's going to be yet, <laughs> but that's the idea. So exciting. So much fun. When you talk about uh, cheerleading, uh, but also this sort of idea of pastoring or shepherding, what comes to mind for me, uh, having worked with you uh, and observed you, is that you're cheerleading, you empower writers and you empower leaders in the writing community. And that's part of your gifting, part of what you do so well. And um, so that just came to me as you were talking. So I just, I thank you for that, uh, not just for myself, but um, for the writing community. That is so important because again, it is it is easy as a writer to become discouraged, uh, to, to feel isolated. So that idea of, um, cheering each other on and, uh, you know, sort of giving writers wings is, is really exciting. Part of it is seeing a gifting and potential in people and Mm -hmm. then naming that, even if they're uncomfortable with it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And not only cheerleading, but giving the occasional nudge, you know, or, or walking alongside, let's do this together and then kind of letting them, you know, go. So, yeah. Yeah. That's I, I love doing that. <laughs> that's neat. Well, you're very gifted at it. So, um, okay. Tell us about West Coast Christian writers. Uh, what is going on there? What's coming up? Yeah, so since John, Pastor John Drury retired, um, kind of our godfather of our conference, uh, we've been going for about six years, and annually we have a large event. We do some smaller things too, but our big thing is our conference. This is where we get together for a couple of days, and we learn, we uh, grow, we make new friends, we you know, just allow the faculty, the leadership to pour into us, um, those who are attending And we have our eyes opened to things to write about, to people to work with, to what's happening in the industry. Um, Part of it's really quality information because with the internet, with, you know, everything out there, you can Google, how do I write a book proposal? How do I get published? And you're going to hear a million things and a lot of them just aren't right or it's old information. So we just are trying to give you the latest, best, you know, info that we have. But also it's finding um, people who are currently publishing, 
who are actually doing the work and being successful at it for numerous reasons and getting mentoring from that, whether it's in a class or in a group or something like that. And so it's just putting yourself around um, wise mentors, around people who have pastoral gifts, people who, you know, just have insights and can give those to you, can share those with you in a way that you can understand. They, they see you, they care about you, and they want to help you. So that's West Coast Christian Writers, and we have it coming up in February. <laughs> yes, we're ramping up. <laughs> So conference dates are our next conference, February 17th through 19th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't roll off the tongue like it should have. <laughs> so that will be very fun. And, and we will be in the San Francisco Bay Area in Brentwood. And uh, so information will be coming out about that. And again, I will link to that in the show notes. Uh, what is next for you in terms of your writing and what do you have coming up? Uh, I just am finishing up a book called Jesus Was. <laughs> and this happened uh, out of, uh, you know, there was some crazy things that happened in our country. There's a lot of crazy things that have happened in our country, but one of them happened on January 6th. And that was that, you know, whole thing that happened at the Capitol. And no matter what your politics are, your feelings, that was some crazy stuff that happened. And so the next day I was thinking kind of that old thing of what would Jesus do? And yeah. <laughs> and I remember, you know, we had the bracelets, I think when I was in college, people wore the, what would Jesus do bracelets? Uh, I thought, what would Jesus do? And so I just wrote, Jesus was nonviolent period. I put it on my Facebook post, you know, because I didn't want to preach or teach or rant or any, you know, things were just so crazy on social media. And immediately it started this amazing conversation about who Jesus was, what he did, what he would have done. And I didn't say anything about January 6th. It was just about Jesus. So this book is about who Jesus was, what he did, what he said while he was on earth, you know, in human flesh. And uh, just getting to know Jesus better, you know, kind of going back through layers of history and doctrine and dogma and tradition and just trying to see who Jesus really was. So working on that right now with some friends. And then after that, I'm starting a book called The Ultimate Bible Nerd, where I'm going to read this giant set of classic Bible dictionaries, six million words in a year, and have some fun with that. So that will be sort of a, a, a stunt memoir. It's a stunt memoir. I'm actually going to be writing it during my one-year memoir mentoring group. I'm going to be writing on the deadlines with them. And yeah, just trying to write that in a year. I want to, I think it's going to be so fun. And just, oh, there's so many oh, funny, yeah. interesting, weird things in the Bible, and it'll just be fun to connect to those things. <laughs> That's great. And then you have a collaborative work coming out in March, Sanctuary. Yay! Yeah, Can't Sanctuary. Wait. All Ireland, all donkeys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know the yeah. word title was uh, the donkey whisperer. So the donkey whisperer will forever that. be that in, yeah, in my brain, but it's called sanctuary. It's about a man named Patrick uh, who was raised in Ireland's donkey sanctuary. His father started it. 
So he grew up, he can speak donkey. I mean, he can bray exactly like a donkey would never know. You can look him up on YouTube. There's a video. And uh, he became a troubled teenager and his family and his country didn't know what to do with him. They sent him overseas um, into some war torn countries where genocides and things were going on. And he came back just destroyed and an addict and a mess. And he called out to God and God sent him an Irish nun who turned him around. And then he uh, was really rescued and kind of saved by working at the donkey sanctuary. So the sanctuary his father had started ended up saving his son. So it's, uh, yeah, I I love that story. There's, you know, Ireland's like a character in that story. Speaking of fictional techniques, Ireland's. Yeah, alive and a character, and some of the settings are just you know so important to the story. So mm-hmm. it was really fun to write and kind yeah. of a sacred trust to carry a story like this. Yes, definitely. And when you talk about uh, the necessity of a unique story for a publishable memoir, there you go. That's mm-hmm. a unique story. Uh, that will offer so much. So I can't wait to read it. I can't read to, wait to read all of those books. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. We went a little over 30 minutes, but well worth it. So thank you for that. And uh, again, links will be on the podcast episode notes, where to find Susie, your website, your social media. I love following you on social media. Loved that Jesus series. Uh, it, it got to the point where I actually went to Facebook to see, ooh, what else about Jesus today? <laughs> that was fun. So anyway, thank you very much for your time and for all you do to serve writers. Mm, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you for listening to Words with Writers. For show notes, links, and resources for writers, go to wordsforwriters.net. Thank you.